joining me today are two incredible guests. Corinne, who is part of both the Jamaica Inn Paranormal Team and the South Bristol Paranormal Team, and Russett, who is Managing Director of Bath Theatrical, a location we were also able to explore and discuss at the end of the podcast, given its own rather exciting and intriguing activity. Russett was able to provide Corinne with a wealth of different costumes to take part in an intriguing paranormal investigation, the setting for which took place at Woodchester Mansion in Gloucestershire. Described as hidden in a secluded Cotswold Valley, untouched by none of the modern world, Woodchester is an unfinished Victorian Gothic masterpiece. Construction began in 1855 and stopped by the mid-1860s, leaving floors, ceilings and plasterings unfinished. The mansion has undergone much conservation over the past years and has featured on the Netflix hit, The Crown. For years, though, it has been a hideaway location sought out by paranormal enthusiasts because of its long association with strange activity that ranges from hearing 1940s music, hearing a young girl singing, smelling extinguished candles in the chapel area, hearing loud bangs and footsteps, and experiencing strange light phenomena. It's a location with a reported number of attached spirits, including a figure of a man that likes to hide, along with another shadowy figure searching. It's been associated with a horseman on the drive, a floating head, an American airman, a shorter, shadowy male figure believed to be a stonemason, and the figures of a young girl and a young woman. Woodchester is no stranger to mystery and ghost lore, no surprise given the building was unfinished. Stories of ghosts appearing and scaring all the builders away have long been spoken about when it comes to the mansion. Whilst realistically we know that the then owner William Lee was getting older, more frail and ill, and short of money, the mysteries and stories associated with Woodchester are long and enduring. This intriguing mansion will, I'm sure, continue to intrigue and mystify its visitors. Hi ladies, thanks for joining me today. It's great to talk to you both. Thank Hi, you. So just to kind of start, do you want to take it in turns just to introduce yourself and kind of give a little bit about your background? I know Corinne, you've been on before, but it's always useful saying hi again and kind of letting people know a little bit about you and what you get up to. Yes, certainly. So my name's Karine Besant. I am paranormal investigator with an absurd love of history. Um, I am part of the Jamaica Inn Paranormal Team, it, that famous inn on Bobbin Moor in Cornwall. But my real passion are investigating unusual uh, locations. And one that I've been to recently has completely intrigued me. And I'm looking forward to going back in just over a week's time. Um, yeah, so my name's Russet Orton, and I am the director of Bath Theatrical Costume Hire. And I'm the third generation um, who's running it. It was started up by my grandmother in 1969. That's amazing. Two very different kind of portfolios. So people might be listening to, th to this thinking, how on earth is this going to kind of come together? 
you know, what is it that's going to be the topic? But I think you two have been doing some amazing stuff. And I just think it's really intriguing to see how your two worlds have kind of come together in the way that it has in one particular location. So I think it'll be a really kind of interesting thing to unpick and dive into. And so just starting with you, Russet, in terms of what you do, you mentioned your clothes hire. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about this this shop? The yeah, kinds of... so it started um, in Bath and it was a very small shop on the London Road. And um, it started in one little section of the shop. And then when the hairdresser moved out of there, slowly spread and spread and spread until it filled up the whole shop. And at that point, it was run by my grandmother. And she used to um, make many of the costumes. And the only place where there was good light was upstairs on the third floor. And she'd sit there where the balcony is and do her sewing. Um, And then my, my mother took over from her when she wanted to go into retirement. And so my mother took it over and was operating Bath. And then the location in Froome came up for sale. And they went, and it was a theatrical costumiers. They only provided costumes for theatre, though. And it was run by a um, a gentleman and his wife. And she he was a GP, um, but they were selling it. So they my parents went over to see if they could have a look at some of the stock and then ended up buying it. So they were running both of the shops. Um, so we call them wardrobes, running both the wardrobes. And um, it wasn't working because my poor dad, who worked at RUH, was spent his life driving in a triangle between the two places because whatever they needed was always in the other shop. So eventually they closed down Bath and moved the stock over from there. So at the time, there was about 8,000 costumes in the shop in Bath spread over three floors. And, um, and then there was the warehouse in Froome that had about 15,000 costumes in it. Wow. So they then merged the two, and now we estimate that we've got about 30,000 costumes. I say estimate because if anybody would like to come in and count them, they're more than welcome. <laughs> Good luck. They might be there a while. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, yeah, so now we've got this warehouse. It's 30,000 costumes. We provide costumes for theatre, for events, for parties, individuals, and we have them from all periods. So we're more of a period costume place rather than a fancy dress shop. I'm assuming some of the pieces that you have are original to that period. So, you know, you've got some that very much are authentic and some maybe that you've you've been doing alterations to, you know, yeah. to bring together to have something that's true to what it, what it would have been like, which we're, is fascinating. We're very often gifted things. Um, when people are clearing out attics after someone's passed away and then, you know, they, they don't quite know what to do with the item of clothing. So they want it they, they can't skip it because it's got sentimental memories they can't give it to a charity shop because it's not doesn't fit into a charity shop nobody wants it there and so they they end up giving them to us and it says it's sort of a closure for them that they've passed it on and I always say to them that these the the, the costume and the character that goes with them is going to live live on way past us so anytime they want to pop in and say hello to Aunt Mary you know they're welcome to um and so we've got a lot of costumes there which have come, I say costumes, they're items of clothing of period era. So we call them costumes, but they're obviously, there was somebody's wardrobe at one point. And um, so we've got stuff that dates back to the middle of the last century, items of clothing. And um, 
some people have gifted us things like lace, which have been handmade, which must be at least 150, 160 years old. I mean, it's almost a little museum, some of the bits and pieces. They're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Victorian dresses and stuff. Yeah. And I think that's what's amazing. I mean, you can just imagine it, can't you? This almost walkthrough of history in terms of fashion, in terms of changing fashions and mm. clothes and styles and how it might change because of periods like the war. I mean, just so intriguing. And you've got all of those pieces to kind of represent those changes, which is am- amazing. It is like a mini museum, isn't it? Well, if you haven't ever studied costume, I mean, you can just see from visually looking at the costumes how they changed. So how, you know, during the Second World War when fabric was short you know they didn't they only had pocket flaps they didn't have pockets in jackets and men's jackets went from having four buttons to three you know those little details and then when the war was over and then come the 60s and late 50s when the fabric was available now the girls went into the full circle skirts so we all know that's what they wore but you can understand why that all happened and how it's all changed I think what's really beautiful is you know you are keeping those pieces and the memories of those pieces very much alive so that other people can enjoy them in a variety of different ways. So their stories that they have, what they represent, still kind of continue. Yeah, with the custodian of memories. Yeah, that's beautiful. Just coming back to what I kind of said at the very start of this, you know, people might be thinking, well, how on earth does this have anything to do with the paranormal? Well, this is where this rather beautiful and unique kind of experiment happened where some of your pieces were used part of an investigation. Mm. So, Corinne, do you want to talk about Woodchester a little bit, just to kind of share the backdrop of where this experiment took place? And we can then talk about the costumes and the kind of things that we, that, you know, you experienced and did there whilst you were at Woodchester. Yeah, so... Um, we'll go back later because obviously um, Russet's um, beautiful building is haunted as well. And <gasps> Never. Of course that is, Yes. So we're going to have to talk about that too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So I was very fortunate to meet her at Shepton Mallet at a conference last November. Well, I thought she was going to say we met in prison, which we did actually. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> and she was like a whirlwind. And this very bubbly, jolly person. And, and, you know, these are the people I love to be around because life is exciting. It's wonderful. And I was lucky enough to go and visit her. And we did a um, an investigation there, which surprised even myself with my skepticism. But the kindest thing was her offer to provide costumes. Now, I've investigated Woodchester Mansion. It's my second favourite location of all time. Must be over 20 times over the years. And I always wanted to do a full dress up. And that's what we call the Singapore theory, because I have a strong belief that if ghost spirits are real, the best way to interact is to dress act and talk from those certain time periods and Russet said yeah not a problem I'll come up so she worked so hard to put together all these fantastic beautiful costumes the men looked amazing especially Craig and Anthony Anthony looked just Sherlock Holmes full outfit, waistcoat, everything, so did Craig. 
Um, I fitted the big fat Georgian cook too well, I think. But, um, and I knew my place. I was the maid. Yeah. <laughs> but we did have some interesting things, especially the two most skeptical ones. And having two real uniforms from the Second World War, when there is that Second World War connection, Kev was in an army uniform, Alan was in RAF uniform, to me was one of the most interesting experiences and something that I would like to develop further. And Russets came up with this fantastic idea where you can order a costume from a certain time period for your investigation. It will be posted out to you. You wear it then you send it back. What an amazing way to hire something and take paranormal investigation a step further. Because it is, it's it's trying to trigger something. And, you know, you and I have spoken before, Corinne, about how we're coming at it from our time frame. And investigations typically go a certain a certain way. You know, there's a certain pattern to it. You might have the same types of gadgets being used, the same types of questions being used. And so something, sometimes doing something different, presenting yourself in a way that is more familiar might entice something, you know, something to happen, might encourage something to happen, might fo- help forge that connection. And I think what's really amazing with what you did here is that you had, a, you know, a real range of different types of outfits being worn to tap into certain types of activity possibly that's known to Woodchester. I mean, you mentioned the airmen. Um, that's something that's very much been reported as being something that's manifested there before. But then there are a whole other range of, of different things that have been you know, reported as manifesting there. And so by using dress from those different periods and different types of people from society might encourage some of that activity to take place. And I think that's really phenomenal. It's, it's so unique. And to have such a wide variety to kind of see what what happens what what you know what energy is is built up is amazing one thing from a different angle as well is that the people who were at Woodchester were paranormal investigators they're used to this they've done this before they've had the experience I had never done it other than when we did it at the wardrobe and um, as a member of the public who might be curious and interested in this I've seen it in with all, all sorts of events when people put a costume on they become somebody else yeah. and they can, they can almost absolve themselves of responsibility of feeling how they feel or behaving how they behave because it's not them anymore. So if they go mm. into this unusual circumstance of paranormal where they may be feeling a little bit apprehensive or nervous or they're not quite sure because they've not done it before, when you're in costume, you now just become somebody else. So it's much easier to deal with those feelings. It makes it more exciting because you can take on the persona of whoever you want to be, really. I think it allows you to immerse yourself into it fully. But also, you mentioned a character. You can immerse yourself into a character within that building. So you almost become part of the history. And again, I think it, it just lowers some barriers sometimes, doesn't it? That mm, absolutely. Possibly. be somebody else in a safe space. Yeah. I mean, it's just so different. And... The fact that you're, you know, you're offering this opportunity to other people, I think, is amazing. I hope, I really do hope, people take it up because it's, it, it's such a kind of simple thing to try and incorporate, but yet 
people don't. <laughs> but also the other thing is if you're going to do it for a one-off evening, mm. and unless you're going back to the same place time and time again, you know, you can have a costume, a different costume each time. And the, the, the trouble to go and try and create a period costume for a one evening event is very is, is not cost effective or time effective or anything. So to be able to rent it and have it delivered to your doorstep, we dress people all the time that we never see. I mean, we dress casts of production. So we're quite used to just dressing people on measurements. So, it, you know, hopefully we take we take all the hassle out of it and give people the opportunity to be creative and have some fun. And who knows what ha- what will happen? But I remember Kareen telling me that, I mean, it just makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you were out in the street and you were seeing people all dressed in different clothing, you, you wouldn't feel comfortable to go and talk to them or interact with them or whatever. So does it not make sense that if there are ghosts out there and they see people around them in the dress that they remember or they relate to, that they're more likely to come out and communicate or interact or something? I mean, to me, it makes it's just common sense. And I think the tr- the same is true when you you know when you use other things and try to incorporate incorporate them if you can you know pieces of music to trigger certain types of periods um, or certain types of activities object all of those things trying to use them in such a way that again just makes the kind of the surroundings a little bit more familiar and hopefully encourage some kind of interaction rather mm. than again, just always sticking to that same pattern, that same routine. You want to try and bring in different things if you can, just to see what else it can uncover because everything has a place, but sometimes always sticking to one particular method and one particular approach is only going to yield certain types of evidence or or certain types of data. Sometimes thinking outside of the box and trying something a little bit different can provide something completely different, something completely unnew. And the fact that you had this opportunity where you covered such a wide range of people, if you like, characters and the outfits that they were wearing, you know, that enables a particular kind of time frame of, you know, 100, 150 years, whatever kind of range that is, for people within that, spirits within that to possibly try and connect. And again, you know, as an investigator, we can sometimes become very fixated on a particular type of haunting, what a building is maybe known for, whereas this kind of opens it up a little bit. Interestingly, the two most sceptical of the people present had such a weird experience when all the men were downstairs in one of the rooms of um, the cellar, which would have been part of the original Spring Park house. and. To, to me, knowing their scepticism and they've investigated because they were part of the resident team, so they knew the place inside out, I think they had that interaction because of how they were dressed. Like we said, it, it helps connect. It helps to, you know, open a door, or, you know, open a window for um, some kind of a connection based on that familiarity and... I, I just think it's intriguing. So what kind of what kind of activity did they have then? Um, there again, you have to remember that the people that were present, they have a more skeptical approach of investigation. So there's no running, screaming or anything like that. Though I did frighten Russet, she walked past just to test <laughs> test her out. She you did scream. Silly yeah. me, I should have known it was coming. <laughs> 
That was funny. Um, this poor gentleman was terrified. <laughs> Corinne and I were saying this just not so long ago. It's usually always the gentlemen who were terrified. <laughs> that it, they can provide some of the best moments. <laughs> oh, yes, I did get tap. He, he was completely off guard. So, yes, I've been waiting about two years to... to prank him so yeah it was well worth it i mean the gentleman who came up from the cellar he was terrified the cellar really is a particularly um and has an unusual atmosphere definitely i think it's certainly from my experience it's where a lot of things tend to happen or people feel very uncomfortable so it doesn't surprise me but he's you know the the, the, the gentleman in question who was dressed in the second world war outfit they were in um, the room which has a stone pillar in the middle and the men around facing out and they held hands so no one could accuse anyone of touching anyone. It's an experiment that Anthony wanted to recreate because of what happened before. And interestingly, the same results. So um, Craig felt someone touch him on the leg, you know, and he's very cool and collected. Just thought, OK, I'll clock that. But it was the other person. He saw what has been reported like a black golem type creature in the shadows coming towards him. And he's the most sane person out there. Logical brain, fantastic engineering brain. But it did unnerve him. And, you know, he can walk around that place on his own in the dark. Never, ever bothers him. That night, he had an experience that he thought was very, very unusual. And when he came upstairs after, you know, we decided us women would go down there, do the same experiment. We had practically nothing. Despite despite Corinne offering my soul to whoever was there. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I would I would offer anyone just to get something back. <laughs> all, about, she said. all about the science, She doesn't believe you, she said. Yeah. But it was it was so interesting. And in November there are nine of us going away for a whole weekend to an undisclosed location that goes back about five hundred years. And um I I know myself, I don't know if some others are going to do it. We're gonna go to Reset and Hire a particular type of costume to try and do some more. But obviously having the two days and two nights stay, we can develop it a bit further and test out some more experiments to go with it. So I'm so looking forward to that. It's just really kind of immersive. And I think for anybody who is very much enthusiastic and interested in exploring the paranormal, and I mean really exploring it, really trying to um, test things out, try different things. This is just one way to do it. There are lots of different things that people can try, but this is one way that really allows you to immerse yourself into the different histories, to immerse yourself in those types of characters and to see what responses you get. And, you know, it can it might surprise you. Like you mentioned, you know, some of the most sceptical people there you know, for this particular experiment, had something really unusual happen that they couldn't explain away. And yet other people didn't experience those, that same type of thing. So maybe is that, you've got the question then, is it something linked to the particular period of dress that they were wearing? 
it kind exactly. of opens up further questions and further bodies of research, which is really intriguing, which I think is what for a lot of us really fascinates us about the paranormal. It's those wider questions, trying to understand it and tease things out. And so it's really exciting that you were trying this out at Woodchester and, and obviously at other venues too, but it's really cool. You have that same sort of um, theory with science where you have to keep trying it to see if you get the same result. And when yeah. you don't get the same result, it adds more questions. So you try it again to see what was the cause and what was the effect. So the same way that you might go back to the same venue once you've had some an experience and you might have seen some activity, you go back again and you try different things to see if you get the same activity. And if you do, then it sort of verifies what you found on the first time, but you might get different activities. So you've got to keep trying different ways just to check. Mm-hmm. And yeah, look, as you said, the costume is just one of them. And the, music, everything else adds to the atmosphere. The expertise of Russet's knowledge of costume, I think, is what makes it um, feel so special. Yeah. You know, she has this fantastic, wonderful brain that knows exactly how a look should be for what time period. Um, I mean, we'll get Russet to say about what happens at her place, but you have to go there and you are transported into a world of fantasy. And I could spend all day just walking from aisle to aisle, just looking at these amazing bits of history, some of it are. It's mind-blowing, especially the Second World War section. When you think what stories, that army uniform, that policeman's uniform, what they could have told you about what they saw, the person wearing it. Mm, And so many of them are genuine costumes as well. They're not recreating. And again, I think that's what makes it magical. The fact that so many of your pieces are very much authentic. And the fact that you can put those on and wear them, they are as true to what they would have been, you know, how they would have been worn as you can possibly get. I'm I'm not somebody that, that kind of believes in haunted objects in the way that they're often portrayed on, on television screens with, you know, demons and yeah. all of this kind of negative stuff. But I do think artefacts and objects can hold residual energy from periods of time and they can trigger certain types of energy and certain types of paranormal activity and so there's also that question of you know some of these like you were saying Corinne you know the stories that these have is some of the is some of the activity possibly also linked to the you know the outfits themselves you know you put them in the right kind of scenario the right kind of setting does that also yeah. elicit types of residual activity? I mean, it just opens up so many different avenues, which is a really mind-blowing bit of exploration, I think. And it, it surprises me that nobody's really tapped into it before. You know, you think of a museum. Everything's behind glass. Yeah, you can't touch it. And recently, I was lucky enough to go down with Kate Sherrell, who, who mm-hmm. you interviewed. And Russet brought out all these amazing Victorian pieces, this bustle that when you know um, Kate tried it on and she's so slim lucky devil and the the little jackets oh the the workmanship of the stitching how tiny people were yeah it touching pure history I think it's magical and I think the fact that you're offering this and giving people the chance to immerse themselves in this it kind of ticks so many different boxes for those that are passionate about history and exploring 
different periods of history, but also the different kind of paranormal periods of history. I mean, it's just, like I said, it just ticks all those boxes, doesn't it, to allow someone to immerse themselves in that, which is just unbelievable. And I, and I think somewhere like Woodchester, where you do have that huge range of activity from different periods, you know, people, you know, airmen from the war, then going all the way back to figures, young girls, young women, young men from over 100 years ago. You know, the fact that you've got that range of types of paranormal representation reported there it just allows you to explore that fully rather than hopefully trying to tap into it you know you know you're doing everything you you can possibly try and do hopefully yield some results which it's just so exciting it's so different we had one experiment where the the men in uniform were sat at a table playing cards and the, the the card face was from the second world war um, and the theatrical cigarettes, the fake cigarettes. So they're reenacting something that would have happened of a group of soldiers, free time, playing cards and just chatting. And again, it's just familiar, isn't it? You are yeah. doing something, you're going about your day-to-day life as they would have done, and that might kind of stir up some of that residual energy, that residual haunting. Um, people who would have done that, people who would have been doing exactly the same thing, sitting at the table, playing cards, lighting up a cigarette, chatting with their mates. You know, it's it's just a different way of communicating. And I think sometimes we can forget as investigators that we are just as much a tool as any gadget that we bring in. And what we do, what we bring into the setting can have a huge impact and that can be how we dress, how we talk, the music that we play, the types of games or things that we bring in to spark some kind of energy. Everything that we do and how we approach it is so important. And I think we have to be mindful of that. And it, it's, it's exactly. And I know but, that you've done something similar because you you've had experiences where you've also dressed up at the Jamaica Inn. And I know those those nights were also really successful in terms of types of activity that it stirred up and yes especially an 1820s dress that um uh, lisa had kindly made and we put a guest a lady into it she, we had her on her own in the stable block with just a walkie-talkie and the rest of us were in the bar this is half two in the morning there's no one else around and she contacted by the walkie-talkie in a panic because the two inner doors in the stable block opened, a chair scraped and she heard footsteps. She is completely hooked that she's booked to return because she wants to be frightened again. And it's like, well, this doesn't happen normally. You're so lucky. <laughs> but we think it was the dress. Yep. And it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't surprise me. You need to try and do something with the um, Second World War costumes to see if it kind of really ramps up some of that energy of the you know possible connection with the airmen that you've got going on at the Jamaica Inn because I think that's a really interesting thing that most people don't expect about the Jamaica Inn and the fact that you are starting to tap into that and explore that I think is amazing. There are so many um, ideas um, for the next year there and poor Russet she's going to be exhausted and fed up of me. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I think she needs to tell you about her friendly ghost that she has. Yeah, I can't wait to hear this because you can just imagine, can't you, all of these costumes and this very old building. And the fact that it's been in your, you know, you've had this family connection must mean you have some amazing stories that go back a while. So, yeah. I think on Saturdays when we're about to close, they're all just sort of like, can you just go now, please? It's time for the party. It's like, it's a, when I met when I met Corrine at at, uh, at the prison in Shepton Mallet, and I had I sort of yeah, I'd heard about the paranormal thing, and it was something that I'd never really I'd sort of thought, well, maybe we could, you know, it's something I never really thought about it to be honest. And then I heard them talking, so I went over and introduced myself, and I said, um, "You need to come and meet James." And they said, "Who's James?" I said, "Well, James is our ghost, of course." I said, come meet James. So um, we have this character that I've called James, although the people who came there that night gave him a different name. But occasionally you hear, you you don't hear, sorry, you smell cigarette smoke. And it's like when you're walking, it's like you're walking behind somebody that's smoking. So you get this waft of cigarette smoke, but it, and it goes very quickly. So I'd heard about this when I came to join the family business. And uh I thought, oh, nonsense, this must be the guy next door that smokes. So I went outside to see if it was him smoking, but the place was closed. We have a carpet shop next door and it was closed and there was nobody there. So, okay. So um, you you smell the cigarette smoke. I'd probably say once or twice a month. And um, so I called him James. And um, we think that James thinks he's funny, but he's actually not. He's got a great sense of humor because he takes things and this, they disappear and you occasionally you'll hear a member of the team going, James, put it back. And um, and then you'll go back and three weeks later, you'll find it in exactly the same spot where you'd left it. And this happens often. Um, when we were in Bath and my grandmother ran the place, she, like I said, she used to sit up at the top of the bar where the balcony was in the light and do sewing. And she said there was a couple, she was very, very, um, in tune with spirituality, can I say? She's not a religious person, but mm -hmm. she was very intuitive and felt, you know, she's the kind of person that when she went into a room, she had a feeling about the room and she felt comfortable and she said it had a good spirit or whatever. So she was that kind of a lady. And um, she said that she would hear these two women walking up the stairs and she called them the silk ladies because she said she could hear their silk dresses dragging up the stairs behind her, behind them. And then they would go into what used to have been the kitchen and she could hear the tinkering of teacups and the chitter chatter and they were having tea. And that happened a number of occasions. And she always felt very comfortable with them there because she said it was really nice to have the company. And so she always used to tell me this story about the silk ladies. And then there was also in the house that she lived in and there was something that happened in the basement. And she so she was very in tune with these kind of feelings. So we always wondered if... When we moved the costumes to Bath, did the silk ladies come with us? So there have been a couple of occasions where, not doesn't happen to me, but to other members of the team where they've been standing there. And there was two at one point where they were working on a production or something, and they both froze. Neither of them said anything to each other, but they both just stopped and looked around them. And then afterwards, they brought up with the fact that each of them had felt something going past them. And um, to the point where it had, they'd sort of frozen, wondering, looking around to see if they could see anything. And ne neither had mentioned it to each other at the time. But afterwards, they realized they'd had a mutual experience. 
Then there was another occasion, a couple of occasions when there was a young man who worked with us and he was in one part of the shop and he looked up and he saw somebody standing at the section where we keep the shirts. So he stopped what he was doing to go and help this person who he assumed was a customer. And when he got there, there was nobody there. And that happened on a couple of occasions. So I always tell people that I do believe James is there and I feel very comfortable with him. And I feel a lot safer inside the warehouse at night than I do feel outside. So um, I feel comfortable with them. I, they don't try and scare me. So when they came to do the, when Claire, when, when um, Kareen said they wanted to come and do a, an investigation, I got very excited because maybe now I'd actually find out who James is. And um, it was concluded by a couple of different people who were there that James is actually called George and that he is a Second World War airman. And one of the gentlemen showed somebody there the actual uniform they believe was his that's hanging there. And that through various tests and all the rest of it, that we actually have five permanent residents. And one of them, his name is Stanley, and he's a bit grumpy, but he hasn't bothered anybody. So he's he's there. And um, also a silk lady. Well, a lady in a long white dress, who I'm assuming is one of the silk ladies. And James, George a little boy, and a lady from the Second World War. Wow. It was very interesting when we did this one and we were do- looking to the second, we were doing the war thing and Karine was playing music and had a um, speech and li- Vera Lind music and all sorts. One of the ladies that works for us, she speaks German. She's not German speaking. She speaks German. So we thought, well, maybe if she speaks German, that might encourage some activity. Yeah. So the next thing is she's shouting in German down the passageway. And suddenly there's this bell out, Achtung, come here! I'm like, Sylvia, for heaven's sake, you you scare them all back into the trenches. So go back and be nice to them. <laughs> and so she went back and she was talking um, with one of the gentlemen and um, they were chattering away. And this, I'll hand back over to Karim because she saw something that I didn't see. Yeah, so it was a very exciting evening. It was lots of fun. It sounds incredible. It sounds really incredible. An amazing place to investigate. Oh, it's it's surreal. And while um, halfway down, um, Sylvie and Alan were down by the, the Second World War um, uniforms, Sylvie was talking in German. And I'm looking straight on. And it was either the first or the second row going in. It was bizarre. I saw like a black shape and I'm watching it thinking, oh, is my eyes playing up? But then it looked like a right hand and half an arm was waving frantically at Sylvie. And I thought, no, I'm seeing things. So I just watched it and it was gone. Little did I know afterwards when we finished, I explained what I'd seen. And Sylvie's, was it her mother or grandmother's? No, it's her mother's. She was standing underneath an original German dirndl, which is a traditional dress, and it had been her mother's. <gasps> oh, my goodness. So this black shape, this this hand, you couldn't make out a figure from this other shape, but it looked like an arm and a hand waving. It's Sylvie. And of course, they were concentrating and... I just wanted to see if, for myself if I was experiencing anything. So I was, I was keeping quiet. But, you know, it was intriguing. I can't say it's paranormal, but 
it's got me thirsty to go back and try to recreate the same scenario. You need to go back as often as possible. <laughs> it's moving in. Yeah. Well, see, Give her a camp bed. Some teams forget, you know, to have a place like this as a study case and to go back over a period of time is so lovely because I think it enriches your actual paranormal journey by doing something like this. Russet is so accommodating and there are some teams that I would like to invite down to investigate at her place as well. And it's not something you think would have any paranormal reports because from the outside it looks a modern building, but one wall is Victorian. And mm-hmm. Russ, if you want to say about you know what you found out about what was there before. When we bought the building, we were under the impression that it was a grade two listed wall, but we've yet to find any records that will demonstrate that it is. And I needed to investigate that because of insurance purposes. So we can't find any record of it, but it's connected to the bridge, which is listed. So it doesn't really make an awful lot of sense. And the wall that's connecting us to the place next door is, um, which is the carpet shop, is also an old wall. You can just tell from the arches that are blocked up and stuff. So Karen, who's so into the history, she, when she first came there, she brought maps of... Um, aerial maps of the area and our building is not there on the maps from the turn of the century so in 19 i think the map was from 1946 there was no building it showed it as farmland now we know that the building used to be used as a dyeing mill for the mill which is just a little bit further and the whole the buildings all in the area were from the mills and it was all to do with wool and dyeing wool So it didn't make sense that there was no building on the map. So I asked um, a gentleman who used to be in the carpet shop next door because he's fairly elderly gentleman and he's been around for a while. There's and also there's a chimney, a fire chimney on the property. So I asked him and he said, no, he remembered some 40 odd years ago when he was little, he used to work in the building. He was working in this dying mill. I mean, dying plant, and it was a double-story building, and they pulled it down and then rebuilt it as a warehouse, leaving the original wall. But the but the building is not featured on the maps. How unusual! It's a bit of a mm. mystery. Yeah, and so, the two walls are still there. Two of them. Mm. So mm. you have this history. Um, I mean, Froom goes back to Saxon times, um, mm. even Roman. So. You know, it was one of the most important towns anywhere. And you got connections with the Duke of Monmouth, his rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a fascinating place, but a place that's overlooked in the paranormal community. One of the, um, wasn't there, a big, there was a big um, battle from the Civil War that took place in Froome. Uh, Philip St. Norton, just up the road. Yeah, Norton St. Philip. Yes. Him as yes. well. Yes, yes, wrong way round, that's me. It would be interesting, though, to see if those kind of connections also came through. Like, you know, if you're going in and and having the chance to investigate, as, you know, Corinne has mentioned, where, you know, if you go in time and time again, treat it as a kind of a place of study, knowing those bits of history, knowing that bit of mystery around this one particular wall, 
Um, but then the wider area, just seeing if any of those things come through too, it'd be fascinating to see what you uncover. Well, because, it seems that Stanley used to work there on the farm. Yeah, I was going to say, was there any kind of connection with the, the farmland area? And he was and, killed in the in the Civil War. Wow. Just up the road. You see, that's something to, knowing that and, and having that connection already just allows you to go in and then start asking things from that period, exploring that period, mm. doing things to try and tap into that, to just see what else, if, you know, what else it uncovers. I'd love if to get to know exactly. Stanley better. I don't like people being grumpy in our wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's just jealous of the costumes. He, he wants can dress to... up in anything he likes. <laughs> See, that, that's probably why you have so many. Can you just imagine how exciting a place it must be just to have that constant kind of movement and different types of pieces coming in with that little bit of mystery around it? I mean, just, yeah, it would be so interesting, the exciting place to be rather than some boring old place with nothing there to kind of keep you amused and to well, look at just last week we were gifted an original 1920s dress oh beautiful it's 100 years old i mean it's stunning and mm. i can just imagine that at some party and what's going on you can hear the music as soon as you see the dress you suddenly just get washed off into this black and white movie and you know it it kind of comes back to what we were saying just it allows you to try so many different things out and you know, when I hear stories like this, I think I'm a bit like Corinne. I start envisioning so many different scenarios. I mean, you could sit, you could create an afternoon tea where you might possibly tap into the silk ladies, actually have people sewing, doing some of the things that, you know, women of that period might have been sitting and doing, you know, a little parlour session, a seance, you know, whatever. There are so many different things you could try dyeing if there's that connection with with that trade mm. uh, you know, having that kind of, having something set up around that. The world's your oyster, isn't it, in terms of what you could try? You have to but, come and see it, Michelle. Oh, oh God, yes. Don't, don't tempt me. Yeah. Well, Brassett does another service there. She has a studio, if you want to um, photo studio. tell them. Yeah. <gasps> so we can have our... Period portraits. And, oh, wow. Costume well, portraits. I, I mean, this is something that, you know, I, I tell a lot of people, but I think part of the reason why I got into teaching was because you have these amazing days where you get to dress up as certain people. You know, if you are doing the medieval period in history or, you know, you're studying the, the Tudor times, you, you kind of create these moments for the children to really immerse themselves in in what you're doing. And those are my favourite days. <laughs> I, I would think we're doing that for an English school. And they've got students there, so we're giving them a dress-up box, well, not a dress-up box, a box of accessories for exactly that so they can understand, they can visualise the different yeah. periods. And it just brings history to life. I wish there was more of this that we do, you know, just to understand local history, but to understand what it really was like for the everyday person, you know, the, the tangible things that we'll remember rather than, you know, history isn't always about dates and facts and events. It's about what life was like for the people. And I think clothes is such an important part of that to really feel for what it would have been like for them. And I think allowing people to see them, to touch them, experience them, it brings them to life in a way that you don't necessarily get by visiting a museum where everything is closed off. You, know? you, you imagine Bath, Bridgerton. And Russet has a unique experience for 
visitors in Bath. I'll leave, leave it over to you. <laughs> to me? We've yeah. actually developed, we, we developed a bit before the lockdown and um, we had this project that we were trying to develop called Living History. Yeah. And the whole point of it was people always said, oh, you should have a picture of Bath here so people could take photographs in front of the building. And I'm like, why, why would we want to create a, a, an artificial situation when we have all these incredibly beautiful buildings around? You know, when you can have the photograph taken in front of the building, why would you need to do it in front of a photograph? So it took many years to, to work out how to do it and see about the licenses and see the best way to, to develop this idea. So before lockdown, we did it with a couple of Georgian costumes. And basically, we sliced the costumes up the back and you put them on like a doctor's gown. So you don't have to take your own clothes off. You just slip it on over. doesn't matter what size you are because you either make it tighter or looser. And we photograph you with your own phone from the knees up. So it doesn't matter if, what shoes you're wearing. In front of the Abbey, in front of the Royal Crescent, in front of the circus, in front of anywhere. So um, we, we experimented to see what was the best way of doing it and how, what, how people liked it and everything else. And when we were going to launch it, then, of course, we went – into lockdown so it never happened but my idea was to be able to have these period costumes at different locations where there is history so if you're if the building is related to you know the the Tudor era era then the costumes that you get to try on off of the period relating to the house and a lot of these places do have dress up rails where you can try costumes on but they're indoors so you put a costume on over your clothes, which may or may not fit, and then you photograph in a room. And it, to me, that's pointless. So if this could be there so you could be outside the building in full costume. Um, Karine will um, contest this. So once you put the costume on and the layers, and you think, flipping neck, no wonder they had to have dresses. You stand differently. You wear it differently. You walk differently because the costumes are so – some of them are really quite constricting. Mm -hmm. And they're just different. So, yeah, to, to it does. It immerses you into the history. So that's our living history program that we want to expand out to manor houses and places of interest so that the visitors going there can take their photographs in costume in front, of, which would promote the venue and just give people unique an experience. Oh, it's incredible. Uh, just incredible. And, again, it kind of – what you're doing there – for history for kind of that immersive aspect of history you're also doing that within the paranormal too you know you are allowing somebody to immerse themselves into particular periods particular moments and really kind of feel it from the bones outwards now that's just for a photograph but we also have another experience which we've introduced during the lockdown which is something you have to try because there is nothing nothing like walking through Bath in full costume. So we do this thing where you can come to the warehouse, the wardrobe, and you can dress up in costume, whether it's Regency, whether it's Georgian, whether it's Victorian, whatever period you choose, and then you go off to Bath. Or we've got some people who are going off to Stourhead. You can go wherever you like. And then they're going to wander around in costume, and they're going to go for tea, they're going to go for dinner, and then the next day we'll go and collect the costumes from whatever hotel you're staying at. Oh, and you can have your hair done. You can have your makeup done if you want. You can have photographs taken in the studio. You can do what you want. But there is nothing like walking around Bath in costume. That's incredible. 
And I yeah, so there's that experience. It's, uh, that's the Regency experience, the gold package. I won't even go into the platinum package because that's a whole different radio program. <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like to see something like that on a scale where you could go in to somewhere and really experience it. Like have some kind of a, I don't know, high tea or a dance or you know, if you are if you're really interested in like murder mysteries, you know, being able to do that, but likewise for the paranormal, set something up that's maybe linked to that, to that building. You know, if it's a court, I know Corinne, you've done that before where you've created a script, dress up, actually go full. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. See what it stirs up. I mean, the sky's the limit, isn't it? When you think. And you could give each person a character and you study the history of that character. And you, that's what I'm saying. When you go into costume, you become somebody else. Just amazing for what that can offer in terms of the, the history, but for within the paranormal field, just the amount of, things it could stir up the possibilities it's just an incredible bit of thing you know kind of thing to have to try out to have in your repertoire to see what it kind of leads to it would be incredible and it's fun yes it is and when I was dressed to this Georgian cook couldn't keep her out the kitchen we couldn't no I was walking around in my thick accent I was saying we burnt the guinea fowl me lord you know because you end up being this person that you've Thank created. Thank goodness we didn't give her a rolling pin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But you have great fun with it as well. Yeah. She, ha- Russell has so many wonderful ideas. And, you know, I, I am biting it the bit to think, my God, you know, what you can create mm-hmm. with this, with the paranormal, with serious research, mm-hmm. it's, it's endless. And that's is, the way I want to go. And I like to think that that we don't, that, that we, we, we're very personal about it all. So we're not just processing. Mm. You know, it's not just a, a, well, here's a set of costumes for this, off you go. You know, we're dressing individuals. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, because paranormal is very personal. I mean, you're talking, if you're going to be connecting with spirits, how more personal can you get than that? Oh, completely, mm. completely. You know, you are, you're kind of almost stepping into the way that they dress, the way they would have held themselves. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like you mentioned right at the very start, it's, it's, it's holding those memories and you're becoming part of that. And just so exciting to see what it yields. And and I have to also say that when I, when Karine first asked me about coming there, and I said, you know, I really don't want this to become a process. I don't want to churn people in and out of this place. Like I said, I everybody who comes here has to have total respect for whoever's here. Yeah, mm. and that's yes. it's their place, not mine. We're yeah. just custodians. I I think what's really beautiful about beautiful about what you're offering as well. It's so bespoke that you're being just as respectful with the outfits that you are kind of loaning out to people um, so that it's kind of a two-way thing. You know, you're respecting the building, but you're respecting the outfits and the possible connections that that might be kind of fostering with the spirits of that building. You know, it it kind of all kind of ties together, I think, that the care, the love, the attention, it matters. Mm. I'd, I'd hate for the ghost to sort of look, oh, God, here comes another lot. Exactly. You know, when you go 
to a place where there are people there every Friday, Saturday night, week in, week out. I always think they must be so bored. So yeah. if I go there, how differently can I address this? How differently can I talk to them? And what would interest them? Yeah. So speech, um, sound, old rhymes, um, yeah. old songs, you know, and chat to you know we chat to each other in a respectful manner so you should do that for someone who's possibly been dead you know for up to 200 years or more and if you go back how arrogant are we to think they understand our modern language i agree can you imagine if we were in our homes and we came out of our home and everybody outside was wearing silver lame costumes talking in some weird language playing some awful, awful noise that they called music and then they'd expect us to come out and communicate nobody would they poke their head through the door and say no thank you exactly. <laughs> yeah, they, it's true and um you know i think we need to be mindful of that that we are walking into their space mm. more than they are into ours Absolutely. and so therefore you know, you've got to be respectful, like you mentioned, but also try and connect on their level. Again, as I said, some of the most powerful things that we can do ourselves are being mindful of how we operate and what we bring to that and what we do. And this is just one way of doing that. Music, costume, what we bring. And, and laughter. Yeah, I agree. You know, I... If I'm walking past a, a group of people and they're laughing and joking, I want to know what they're talking about. You want, to, you want to sit down with them and listen or maybe join in. Or if they're playing that game of cards, you want to join in with them. Um, yeah. You know, I'd rather Cheat. do that. Exactly. <laughs> Unless it's Corinne, of course. Yes. <laughs> then they run. <laughs> But, you know, you'd rather be doing those things that are far more interesting and far more true to what you would have been doing than sitting and answering the same question that's been asked a 100 times over the last, you know, several days by various different people who've come in and gone out. Mm, yes. It's trying something different. And, and like you said, having fun. And what is more fun than being able to become someone else? Mm. to step into character, to step into a role and become the lord or the lady or the servant, the maid, the cook, the cleaner, the airman. You know, you can just and be able to go from one person to another if you're lucky enough, you know. It's, it's very interesting. When you put on a period dress, how straight your back suddenly becomes. Mm, it's true. It's very true. You know, And how you stand up straight and you walk a different way and you hold your chin up mm -hmm. it's it's subconsciously you, you you do this because um i i remember funny story my father being an ex military policeman when i was 14 15 and you're developing a chest you know you tended to walk with a scrunched back cuz you were trying to hide it and my father being as blunt as i am now um, would say, come on, girl, stick your shoulders back. Funny enough, years later, I do try to walk with my shoulders back. Yeah. Shoulders back, chest out, chin up. Exactly. You know, no slouching in this house. 
But it's, like we said, it's just that connection, isn't it? You are becoming part of the history. You know, you're kind of putting away your life for a little while and you really are becoming part of the history of that building and the people in it. And I just think that's an exciting opportunity to connect in a way that you can sometimes become distracted if you've got this bit of gadget to to work and play with and this bit and this bit and you've got to remember to do this, this and this. You know, yes, they all have a place. Yes, still use them. But don't forget that there are these things that you can try too. And I just think, yeah, sounds far more exciting. <laughs> and we've just, also, we've, I've just put a link sorry. onto our Facebook page, which is, um, which is a, a Google Street View, so you can walk through the wardrobe. <gasps> that's, I'm that's developing amazing. a new website, um, and that's going to be on there. But, yeah, the idea is that you can go in and have a look, because it just looks like a warehouse from the outside. It doesn't look like anything. And then when and, you walk through the front door, it's just, oh, wow. And what I will do is I'll make sure that I get all of your details so that, you know, we can put all of that up on um, the podcast web- website and with the podcast so that anybody coming along and listening can find you and see what you're doing. And, you know, as it updates, we can kind of keep that kind of up to date as well. So, again, people can find you whenever and however they do, mm-hmm. whenever they get, you know, whenever they listen to the podcast, because just you are offering so many different things. And I just think... She's a whirlwind. Yeah. yeah. She's amazing. Um, <laughs> and the funny enough, we had John Turner um, from Visit Somerset the first time. And <laughs> we absolutely, he this is so not for the thing, he shut himself. <laughs> was so he had to be escorted to his car. Yeah, escorted to his car. And he was too scared to look in his rear view mirror. And when we had that two-day get-together, he was so excited telling people what he experienced. Doesn't stop talking about it. No, but I love that because you get quite jaded as years go by. And to watch the enthusiasm from someone who's just stepping their toe into it, because it reminds you when you used to jump out of your skin everything, you know? Reignite the passion. Yeah. <laughs> but I think what's beautiful is this kind of an experience for somebody who is maybe a more seasoned paranormal investigator who's visited, like Corinne, you were mentioning going to Woodchester 20 plus times. Mm. This allows you to see it in a different way, experience it in a different way. And, you know, that can be just as reinvigorating for somebody who has done it time and time and time again. We We are people we are creatures who always learn and change and we should be doing the same with what we bring to investigations. Try these different things out. Um, You know, uh, the Jamaica Inn now on the public ones, at the last vigil, we are putting people on their own in different areas of the inn with just a walkie-talkie. Yeah. For literally eight minutes. But those eight minutes in the dark with a blindfold on yes and it just gives them a sense of what it feels like to be completely on your own and if you suddenly hear footsteps coming down the hallway um it can be quite I remember a gentleman on the last one very very logical he was probably in his 60s and he pressed the walkie-talkie and he said this may be of interest, but I've just heard footsteps go past me. 
<laughs> I love that. Really? And is it, I'm finding it hard to explain it. You know, it, that was wonderful because you know it's genuine. He's very sort of like, okay. And I said, did the hallway light come on? He said, no, because it's motion censored. So Ooh, those wow. little things I think are the icing on, on any cake for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it just, like as, as Russ has said, it invigorates you even more to think of new wonderful experiments. But dressing up is the way to go. Yeah. yeah, I'm all for it. As I said, you know how I feel about dressing up. <laughs> we weren't going to go there, Michelle. I, I, just, I, just think you look, I think you look better. You feel the part. I mean, I, I, I don't care what it is. I'll dress, dress up as um, the, the, the lowliest servant of the house. I just think it's They're the most fabulous. comfortable, I can tell you. They are, yes. aren't they? They yes, really I are. I always go for the servant. You don't have to be corseted in and like tight and constrained. It's literally just some kind of a, it feels more like a sack. It's brilliant. <laughs> you know how many people come and get costumes from us and then they go, oh, I wish we could still dress like this. I'm like, there's absolutely nothing stopping you. Yeah. Which is why I get, the men. Very, I get very jealous of Kate when she gets to adorn and wear the various pieces that she does because she oh, looks We've put an outfit together for her Can't and wait. she was going to wear it at Woodchester, but unfortunately she wasn't well. And it's got original Victorian pieces on it. And she is going to look absolutely stunning in it. Mm. I can't wait to see her. We're, we're hoping she'll come down after June because she's just got to finish a load of... Um, yeah, this with her, yeah, with her PhD. So she's a bit stressed at the moment. Yeah. But it's sitting there um, untouched, ready for um, her. But, you know, off the record wait till you see this paranormal show and um i she's already hinted about um russet and sure that you know series oh i is going to be famous she's going to be all over the world well i can't wait i can't wait to see this (laughs) it's like i say you know it's lovely to help people because they help you and if you can do a kindness, it, I think it's the nicest feeling in the world, an act of kindness to someone and being nice. You know, yeah. life's too short. You, you, you have to have fun with people that you want to have fun with. But also, you know, when someone's nice to you, do it back. Yeah. And I think, I think there are some truly kind of beautiful moments like that in the paranormal field there are some amazing people um truly truly amazing people who are so passionate and care so much about what it is that they're doing and the buildings that they explore they actually care about the buildings yes and the spirits that are there they want to do right by what they are doing and I think it's incredible that you found you know you found Russet to be part of that to kind of share that passion and that integrity and that desire to be genuine and to kind of keep those memories and to kind of create those kinds of memories through costume it's just incredible I think it's a really really wonderful thing that you're doing and I can't wait to hear and maybe see for myself maybe (laughs) where are you located Michelle 
So I'm Oxfordshire. So I'm actually not too far from Worcester. Just up the road. My brother <laughs> lives there. Yeah, it's gorgeous. There's some personal beautiful... costume delivery on hand. No problem. I'm mm. down for that. <laughs> I am down you, for that. You've got to, when you've got a chance, to give Russet a ring and drive down and spend a couple of hours in her place. It is wow. She makes a lovely cup of tea as well. But isn't everybody's <laughs> fantasy to kind of just dress up, to play dress up, to kind of have that kind of... We do that too, yes. by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> but the I'm funny down. thing is, her, her ghost, James, he hides her pilgrim collars. I you know, don't, this, don't this is this humour. I, uh, I it's not that. funny. He's absolutely not funny. <laughs> so we've got this whole box of Puritan collars that we put with costumes for the Puritan period. And strangely enough, the label on the box says Puritan colors, collars and cuffs. So we were doing a show and we couldn't find the box anywhere. And um, it's only been there 50 years. Why would we lose a box? And so my mother proceeded to go and make another 20 sets of collars and cuffs, which isn't a five-minute job. No. <laughs> Put them in a box, and guess what was right there by the – right where we – just the first aisle next to where we all start work. Never. Box the first back. box. Oh, this is, doesn't end there. So then we find the first box that should have been. Now we've got, I don't know, 60, 70 sets of – next time we need them, can we find them? No. And I'm like, James, I'm not making any more. This is not funny. Just bring them back, please. My mother is losing a sense of humour. Like, yes. Anyway. That it, is priceless. It's busy. I wonder what it is about this particular bit of costume that has the kind of the mischievous side of him coming out so well, much. Is it this supposed one that was um, a Puritan? Who knows? Yeah, you'll have to find out. I can just imagine Corinne has a filofax somewhere where she's really going in depth research into this building and the like, you know, the kind of the surrounding area. I know it's going to be a proper thick filofax at some point in the near future. She'll have articles and newspaper reports and she's already got she'll it. Find it. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Do you know what? Just interestingly, going off subject, a um, friend of mine, um, he's high up, works up in Virgin, does all the testing. Mm -hmm. And there was a mirror um, in Oxfordshire mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. goes back to the doomsday, but it's in the middle of a 500-acre farm, so no one knows about it. Anyway, they've just given up the 10-year lease, and he said it's haunted to hell. Because his staff, he's had experiences. So a couple of Saturdays ago, we went there. And with the full blessing of the owners. And James saw a figure. We had motion sensors. You know, the ones Russet going off on command upstairs. Mm. We heard footsteps. And I knew nothing about the mill. I didn't even know where it was till we got there, which is very rare for me. Mm -hmm. And we're trying different techniques, and it came up um, of a family that were massacred by the Roundhead Army. And we thought, nah, it's a bit, you know, we're 
we're nowhere near it, so to speak. Anyway, uh, Rick did a full write-up, again, very sceptical people. The owners said, actual fact, that mill, there was an encampment of um, roundheads and there were some massacres during that time period. We didn't have an inkling. We've got two more times before they lease it out again. Wow. Uh, Can't wait. So I, I might say to the boys... How about hiring two Puritan outfits? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that should get up some activity. Definitely. Yes. Charming lot they were. Yeah, exactly. That's why I always love doing, starting off with the insult to Cromwell. And, you know, I'm for King James. And how dare you strike off the head of the God-appointed king on the 30th of January. And he wore two shirts, so no one would say would say he was shivering in fright. You know, it's it's, it's just fabulous. And then when you say these things, things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, so and you in that case, you don't get you go don't dressed as a as a peasant, and then you'll get burned as a witch. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, nothing surprises me. <laughs> Commoner. They often had the more, most exciting lives, I think. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Anyway. Thank I, you so much. But no, thank you. I could just listen to stories all night, I think. It's just incredible. So um, I will say goodbye to everybody. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much. And thank you for the introduction, Kareen. Oh, lovely chatting. Michelle. Michelle's amazing. And wait till you hear it. She'll edit and it, it, it'll make everyone sound really intelligent, even me. (laughs) If you like this podcast, there's a number of things you can do. Come and join us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Spread the word about us with friends and family. Leave a review on our website or other podcast platforms. To support the podcast further, why not head on over to join us on Patreon, where you can sign up to gain a library of additional material and recordings and in the process know you're helping the podcast continue to put out more content on a final note if you haven't read it already then you can find my piece in search of the medieval in volume three of the feminine macabre over on spookeats.com or via amazon links to the book will also be in the episode description thank you everyone for your amazing support mm-hmm.